So picking up from where we left off last week in Romans chapter 1, we'll be reading from verses 8 through 17 this morning. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if, by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Scholars say that Romans is a book of theology and it is the best in Scripture for laying out the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I can appreciate why they say that. Uh, and I know why they say that, because of the detailed teaching of Jesus, of Paul, about Christ and, and our relationship. But, but I do not agree with that that's what Romans is. Romans is a book. It's a letter, a lengthy, detailed letter written to people who come from a pagan society and have no concept or foundation on what holiness, godliness, what forgiveness is, and what the power and authority of God is. They have, they're completely ignorant of it. Okay, And they have another thing that Paul had to overcome was the fact that he was Jewish, that that Paul was Jewish and these people were Gentiles. Those two factors, those two factors uh, put together are valuable in your understanding of the writings of the letter to these people. Okay? And so we're going to talk about those two segments today. And and we're going to then, then Paul over here in verse 18 begins to get down to the brass tacks as to the problems that are going on in among these pagan people who are saved. All right? You are a Gentile. I am a Gentile. I know of one person that come to this church who is a Jewish person. Some of the stuff I say today has nothing to do with the Jewish people. Most of it has to do with us. Okay? You need to understand that. The Jewish people are hated by the Romans. Well, they're hated today. 
They want to cleanse from the earth all Jewish people, all vestige of them. <laughs> but why? Where did that hatred come from? Here's where it came from. Remember Abraham? Remember he had a wife named Sarah, or Sarai, and then she was converted Sarah. And she was barren, and she could not have children. And God had given Abraham a promise. Remember the promise he gave him? He says, I'm going to make you have descendants that are greater than the number of stars or the grains of sand on a beach. Remember that? That means you're unnumberable. You just can't tell who they are. And, and Sarah was barren. Now, in medical terms, she could not have children. I'm sure that, that precious woman was on her knees and on her face before God because a barren woman in, the, in, in their day and time was a cursed woman, a woman that was worthless. That's the way it was. That they understood it. And so she asked the maidservant, and she talked to Abraham. Now you got to, if I say Moses, I mean Abraham. <laughs> okay? Because I'll do that. And, and the servant woman went to be with Abraham. Had a child. And they named him Ishmael. The servant became arrogant because she thought that all of the blessing of God, now remember, there are no Jewish people right now. The only Jewish person would be Abraham. There are no Jewish people. She thought the blessing that this God that had blessed Abraham with and all of the money and all of the cattle and all of the property that Abraham had was going to be Ishmael's. That's the way she thought. And then lo and behold, God kept his promise to Abraham through Sarah. And she had a, a child, and his name was Isaac. Isaac. And then Sarah and the servant became at odds with each other. Taunting went on. And Sarah made Abraham expel Ishmael and his, and his mother. Ishmael then received a blessing. It's in the Old Testament. And all of his descendants. But what occurred with Ishmael and all of his descendants was a deep, eternal hatred for the descendants of Isaac. Isaac's descendants became the nation of Israel. Jewish nation. And so this nation, which are all of the, most of the Arabs, or descendants of the Arabs, all over the world, hate 
the descendants of Isaac. And you say, what do I have to do with Romans? Because the descendants of Ishmael are great and numerous, like the descendants of Isaac. And they are all over the world. They were all over the world. They were in Rome. Now, that's one thing going on over here with Ishmael. That's why they hate them today. This has nothing to do with their, the, the Jewish people being rich and being famous and, and having all this money and controlling governments and all of that. The, those are all secondary hatreds. You take all of that way, the Ishmaelites will always hate the Jewish people, period. And nothing will change it until God comes back. But on this side over here, the Jewish side, the Isaac descendants were taught that the Gentiles were fuel for the fire of hell. It's in the writings. They could not do business with them. They could not marry them. And when you went to battle with them, you killed them all. The Isaacs, descendants, killed all of their... There was a one, one... The Canaanites were just an absolute horrendous thorn in the flesh to the Israelites, the Jewish people. And it says that they were to war to the point that they could not find two Canaanites together. So, not only... Not only did they be separate from business, it would be like today, you're walking down the streets of Berryville, the great metropolis of Berryville, and, and you saw, you saw a, um, a Gentile come down the street. An Israelite was supposed to go across the street, go down the street, and come back across to stay away from them. They were unclean because God's hand was not on them. Okay, So we've got this over here going on, and we've got this going on. We've got the Jewish people and the rest of the world. Even people that the Jewish people weren't even aware of. We go back and, and we see it. Uh, uh, remember um, the Tower of Babel? Oh, I forget the king's name. Nimrod, the great hunter. And, and when he sinned and tried to build a tower to heaven, which was not God's will, the only way to get to heaven was through the line of uh, Isaac. They dispersed all the population and they all gave them foreign languages. And so they were unclean. So the Indians were unclean, according to what God said. The Eskimos, the people in South America, Southern West Virginia. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Man. I love West Virginia. By the way, uh, your, your dad's 88 today, right? Today, you're 88. 
Not yesterday. Happy birthday. I'd sing, but you all'd leave. So So we have these two problems right here. Paul, who is Jewish, hated the Gentiles and anybody who left the Jewish faith and followed Jesus. He was a feared man. He was, I'm telling you, he was ruthless. He would winkle out a non-believer wherever he could. They gave him documents. You know, like they have warrants. You go into a house. This was a warrant to find these people wherever they could be found. And he brought them back to Jerusalem and they died. So not only were the, the Christian Jews afraid of Paul, but the Gentiles were. He was re revered and feared. And then one day on the Damascus Road, something knocks him off his horse. It's a bright light and he can barely see. And standing before him is Jesus Christ who has been resurrected. And he confronts him and blinds him. And he experiences Jesus Christ personally. And God then, after three days, uh, the, the Christian Jewish person lays his hands on him and his sight is revealed. And God calls him to be the apostle to the who hate Jews. You with me? And then he goes and he preaches the gospel to Romans who are Gentiles, right? Who know nothing of righteousness, holiness, supreme being, one supreme being. Remember, Roman, Roman people, the citizens of Rome, worshipped many gods. Paul on, on Athens, Hill, Athens, Mars Hill, not Athens Hill, Mars Hill. Remember that? And so God says, here's your church. It was, a Jewish man who was hated by his congregation because he's Jewish. And the only thing they have in common is Jesus Christ. They know nothing of the divine holy God. Nothing. They are intellectual. They are prosperous. And they yield themselves to Jesus. And he has got to teach them everything they do not know about Jesus Christ. That's why people say it's a book of doctrine, because it's all that they need to know. But it is really a book of relationships. 
And so the first, the first eight verses, seven verses, he's talking about who he is and who he represents, and then he pronounces a blessing upon them. And he comes down in verse 8, and he starts talking about his relationship with them and why he wants to have a relationship with them. And he tells them, you know, all over the world, everywhere he went, in the known world, people talked about the Christians in Rome. It's really funny, in our day and age, we don't talk about the people in churches unless it's bad. We talk about churches. I remember when the mega church thing began to happen. It started up in Chicago and out in California, and, and they were talking about people having uh, six and seven and eight and 10,000 people in a morning worship, and then we heard about Reverend Cho over in China where it was 100,000 people, multiple services. And, and all of Christianity got really excited about, wow, we can have all these big churches. And they started writing books on teaching pastors from West Virginia how to have a great big church. And we forgot that the only one who says how big a church is is God. See, don't get confused. Remember Peter on the day of Pentecost and and he began to preach the gospel there to all those people, and 3,000 of them gave the heart to the Lord. They were all Jews. That's why nobody had a problem with it. They didn't have a problem. Oh, look, all these Jews have accepted the Messiah. That's what they were. But now Paul's talking to Gentiles, you and me. And the world's saying, these Gentiles who hate Jews are following this Jesus who is Jewish? Do you understand why it's strange? Oh, by the way, I want to thank God. Uh, um, the Wallaces are up in Pennsylvania at the baptism of the man that that Jim led the Lord, his, his cousin. Isn't that exciting? Praise God. Isn't that something? See, I forget these things, and then they come to me. I have to say them or I'll forget them again. God, and down here in verse 9, he says, God whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel to the Son... Paul is talking about things they have no idea. There's a, a precious lady that I talked to in Indiana. He's been in church all of her life, and I'm teaching her biblical principles. And she said to me this week, at the end of the phone call, she's in tears, and she says, why has never, nobody ever taught me this before? Now, I don't know if they've never, I've not been around her. She's been in church all of her life. I don't know what they've taught her. But she says, I didn't know this. 
She says, this gives me hope. And she's bawling. See, when you do not know the biblical spiritual principles of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, if you do not know those principles, you will not live in hope. You live in religion. And you can be secure in the religion, and you can be uh, content, and you can have a false peace, but you do not understand the power of God in your life. And that's what Paul wants the Roman people to know, the power of God in their life. That's what he wants them to know. And he says to them in this verse 8, 9, and 10, he's saying, I'm going to tell you this over and over, but he calls it witnessing. Constantly. Is my witness, I constantly remember you. I want you to know, I want you to know, I want you to know. And I'm going to tell you what, when you do not, when you teach the principles that Paul talks about in Romans over and over again, it does not take very long for you to find out whether the people embrace it or not. You'll know quickly. Why? You won't see victory. Listen to verse 11. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that will make you strong. That is, that, now listen, that is, he's saying, he wants them to understand something. In verse 12, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. That's a spiritual relationship he's talking about. How can you be mutually encouraged? By biblical truth. It connects people. Because Gentiles are not supposed to connect with Jews. We have two cultural, massive cultural differences. Why do we have massive differences now? We have no spiritual truth. Now I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to stop here for a minute. That's why the church is being destroyed in America. So that the cultural differences can create chaos. I am discovering that the church does not know how to pray in authority over the evils that create division between humanity. We do not know how to do it. We need to learn. Years ago, historically, they called it spiritual warfare against uh, division. And that the church is in places even commanded by God, and it's in Romans, to take authority over the things that are evil, just stop in your head. What evil is going on in your society right now? Did you know the church should be praying against drug addiction, 
and alcoholism and adultery and the occult. But if you talk to Christian families, they don't know how to do that. People in the church do not know how to take authority. And you're saying, Mike, are you saying that if I pray the way God wants me to, that we can begin to see that enemy abated? Yes. It's happened in a secular way throughout society. They have found that when marriage, the marriage institution disintegrates in societies through all over the world, whether it be in Africa, South America, uh, Middle America, uh, up in America, Canada, Russia, where when marriage disintegrates, and society begins to disperse with evil practices, if there is a group, which is supposed to be the Christians, the ecclesia, when that group adheres to fidelity of marriage and commitment to God, eventually the people in darkness, Isaiah, will see a great light, the church in Christ, in church, Christ in the church, they will come back to us, and that's how revival starts. Isn't that interesting? We need to be trained on how to pray. That's why I say, that's why God has shown me that the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and prayer, and hearing God are weapons of warfare against where we're at. Scoffers with the right prayer can be converted to Jesus Christ. It's happened all the time. I did that. Now, Paul, the other things he's talking about is logistics. He, he's been kept from coming to see him, those people in Rome, but now they're coming and. And he comes down in verse 14 and he says, I'm obligated to both the, the Greeks and to non-Greeks. He didn't call us Gentiles. I mean, he didn't call them Jews. He says Greeks and non-Greeks. There's only two categories, Gentiles and Jewish people. Both to the wise and the foolish. The foolish is pagans, and the wise are those people who know about God who've been taught about God. That's why I'm eager. Because Paul now knows that Gentiles can be saved and know Christ. You're no different than Paul. You have people in your life that say, oh, that people, they'll never accept Christ. You have spouses that you, oh, they'll, they'll never you don't know that. You don't know the power of God. You don't know how Jesus Christ changes people. Now, we come down to this last part here. Uh, 16 and 17 are, are something else. You ready for these? 
It's in my thinking, maybe you guys don't think so. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. By the way, um, that word, the, the language here is, when it says everyone, it means everyone. It doesn't mean a chosen, designated group of people. It, it, the language is everyone. Do you all know what that means? Everybody. He says, first to the Jews. That means Jesus came and taught the Jews first, and then halfway through Matthew, he taught to the Gentiles. If you read Matthew that way, you will find that's what happens. Notice it's only two groups of people. Up here he said Greeks and non-Greek. He's being nice. Now he's calling them Jews and Gentiles. And he calls them Jews and Gentiles from then on. For in the gospel, the righteousness, what is the unifying ingredient that Jesus brings to unsaved Jews and Gentiles? The righteousness of God. That is what brings harmony and peace to people. The righteousness of God, and that's what he said, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it was written. So when Jesus Christ came and lived in a Jew, he brought the righteousness of God. When Jesus Christ came to a Gentile, he brought the righteousness of God. When Jesus Christ came to a a, uh, a damaged person, he brought the righteousness of God. When Jesus Christ came to somebody that was abandoned or hurt or alone or afraid or bound in their son, he brought the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God makes all things clear to a person. That's why he says in the last phrase of 17, the righteous will live by faith. If you do not know Jesus Christ, you do not understand what I just said. Because you think righteousness is a religious term. It is not. It is a life-changing entity of God. It is a component of the nature. I don't know how else to call it. I don't know when I look at God. It's a component of who God is that he imparted in Adam, and Adam lost. And he, that was the first Adam, and he brought it back in the second Adam, which was Jesus. And that is a component that unsaved people don't know until they know Christ. Righteousness. It has nothing to do with your value. It has to do with your relationship. Did I yell too much today? I'm, I'm sorry. If you know Jesus this morning, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what happened to you. It doesn't matter where you are at now. If you know Jesus Christ, 
His righteousness manifests itself in you. And it transforms your life. That's why people are the pinnacle of God's creation. No other part of creation lives in or participates in or experiences the righteousness. I'm much, I love my dog, but he's not righteous. You know that? I love my wife, but she's righteous. It's a component that is imparted to the, cre- the pinnacle of God's creation. It doesn't have to do with arrogance or pride or look at me. Matter of fact, if you understand righteousness, you'll be like Paul and say, what a wretched man I am. And when you say I'm a wretched man, it has nothing to do with how you look at yourself. It's because you look at who Jesus is. I, Caleb won't come back. I don't know where he's at. I let him out too long. You want to sing, Jeannie? You can do it, can you? Right. Marcy. We're going to stand. and We're going to sing whatever Marcy says. If you need prayer, maybe you should thank God that his righteousness lives in you. Okay? Let's sing. These people, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Help Paul. Help us to understand what it is that we are in Christ. In Jesus' holy name, amen.